As I speak, Ian Dunt, columnist with the Eye newspaper and author of How to Be a Liberal, is huddled in outside number 10 watching the revolving door for the emergence of the incumbent Prime Minister, but I think she'll probably do a runner out the back. Ian, it has been my habit to compare the tenure of Australian Prime Ministers with the uh, the shelf life of yoghurt, but I understand your Daily Mail is running a poll on whether your Prime Minister can outlast a lettuce. Mm, no, the Daily Star, yeah. So they have a video live stream of a picture of her next to a lettuce that they bought for 60p in the supermarket, which is on, I think, day four or five now. Um I think she's going to outlast the lettuce, actually. I think she's going to make it another two weeks or so. But that is actually genuinely a controversial opinion. I mean, most people sort of think she'll probably be gone probably the next couple of days. It probably won't make it for the week. Almost nobody thinks she's going to make it until Christmas. Um, I suspect, however, that she might have done just about enough to sort of see her through for the next few weeks. The immediate market panic has subsided and she has one thing and one thing only really in her name. And that's that the Conservative Party doesn't know who it wants to replace her. Although one one does hear in the background, bring back Boris Chance. Oh, Christ alive. No, I know. They, They will literally say that. In fact, among the membership, he is the most popular option. The membership, of course, are the last people in the world that we should be listening to, given that it was the membership of the Conservative Party that installed her in number 10 without any you know, voice from the, from the rest of the country, where she proceeded to detonate the British economy. So a period of quiet from those people would be very, very welcome indeed. There are other names as well that float around. I think generally, I mean, there's quite a hard rump of anti-Boris sort of forces in the Conservative Party. Added to it, I mean, on the basis of the fact that he was corrupt and completely inept and didn't have the personality required for executive power. Um, But they've been added to by virtue of those who think, well, it just looks absurd. Like, you know, we look absolutely ridiculous. We get rid of a guy, get someone else in, she crashes the economy and then bring the guy back in. So I think that's actually still a pretty tough call for them. So, so most of the action looks around people like Jeremy Hunt, the current chancellor, like Penny Mordaunt, uh, and like Rishi Sunak, the guy who came second in the leadership race. How did uh, Kwasi Kwarteng react to his sacking, Ian? I mean, I suppose with a bit of dignity, which is more than you can say for her. I mean, her statement after it was was just appalling. She didn't even bother to really offer an explanation for what she was doing. You know, she didn't even try really to pin the blame on him. She didn't offer any narrative at all. She just sort of emerged for an eight-minute press conference looking absolutely petrified, then almost ran off the stage by the end of it offering a sort of series of stock answers and sort of truisms and cut and paste sort of political rhetoric to go with it. There's no possible answer she could give, of course, because she marched in lockstep with Kwasi Kwarteng. They've been allies for as long as anyone can remember, certainly since they both entered Parliament. They both had exactly the same economic ideas. They worked on the budget together. And then she used him as a sort of ritualistic human sacrifice. So he was was only following orders. No, no, I mean, he was an author. He was an author of the budget, but he was a co-author alongside her. You know, I mean, she put him in place because they had the same economic views. They had the same sort of sub-ideological views. Um, For her to cut him loose, there was no... There was no conceivable moral argument for why that should happen to him and not for her. She's well aware of that. And funnily enough, 
politically, that bit didn't work at all. What's worked is that Jeremy Hunt, the new chancellor, has come in and basically said, we will do whatever the markets need in order for them to stop panicking. So it's the complete capitulation to market forces in British politics. But the actual sacking of Kwarteng didn't have the political role that she thought it would. It didn't shore up any support for her politically. It actually made her more vulnerable and made her look more cynical than she did in the days beforehand. Have we seen a wooden stake finally driven through the heart of Thatcherism? Well, it's odd. There's a lot of things that are swirling around at the moment. Brexit, Thatcherism, neoliberalism. It's certainly true that those that group of libertarian economists... Um, for instance, at the sort of, you know, the IEA, the Institute of Economic Affairs, or the Adam Smith Institute, and all these various sort of think tanks that have been around really for, for a few decades now, um, they have been categorically humiliated and disproven. You know, they, they were given a moment, almost like a lab test, you know, it was like a laboratory. They, they basically wrote the kind of core principles for that budget. And it had catastrophic effects. However, the, the fascinating thing is you look at the stuff that these guys are saying. I, w- I went trawling before writing Economy the other day, just looking for any of them who was showing just some kind of capacity for inward interrogation, for introspection, for assessing their own ideas. And you don't find any of it. What you find is just the grim, predictable decline into paranoid conspiracy theories. You know, the markets, the markets are all Remainers or they're liberals or they're out to destroy Liz Truss. You know, if it wasn't for the Whitehall mandarins and the civil servants who are also all Remainers and liberals now to destroy the trust, we would have done it. So really, they're just soaking back in some of the most primitive political thoughts you can have and not really taking any responsibility whatsoever for their actions. I reckon you should ship uh, Kwarteng out here because I don't think, I can't think of an Australian politician with such lofty intellectual Credentials. He goes to Cambridge, gets a double first, he wins a medal for <laughs> Latin and Greek poetry, and uh, he even won University Challenge. I mean, the guy's almost a genius. <laughs> yes, but I, I'm sorry to report that that genius did not translate into British economic performance, uh, and we are now a basket case, really. We're basically... We, we're, we're at the status now of, of all the countries we used to sneer at. You know, you look at Greece or Italy or the or even the political volatility of somewhere like Israel. All those places that we go, look at our stable government, look at our sensible, sort of responsible approach to policy making. We're them now. We're the guys that come out there and, you know, start thinking about, oh, well, will the IMF get involved? What is it that the Chancellor has to say as if he's on a war footing to try and make sure that the pound doesn't crash even further? You, you, you know, make it, is, it sound I mean, as though... You make it sound as though the UK is challenging the US for the status of failed state. Well, oh, but at least they have a currency that everyone, you know, relies on. I mean, what, for, for years, our, our great thing was, oh, look, well, we control our own currency. It's not like being in the euro. So, you know, that puts us on a different kind of footing. We say, well, actually, we're not. And there is a, the real lesson here, then, is the... the is, is not even an ideological one, because I, I don't think that her views are coherent enough to be even called Thatcherism. I think it, it's fundamentally about the return of objective reality to British politics. 
you know, since 2016 at the minimum, since the Brexit vote, it's been as if objective reality doesn't exist. You know, if you say putting up, you know, obstacles to trade with your largest trading partner tends to result, you know, in less trade. I mean, even that was considered this kind of conspiracy theory nonsense. There was a complete rejection of objective reality. Now you can see that objective reality in your face. It is a market decision on bond yields that results in people paying more for their mortgages. It is the absolute violent, aggressive return of objective reality and a retreat right back past Boris Johnson, past Theresa May, past the EU referendum to David Cameron and David Cameron's allies, like Jeremy Hunt, the new chancellor, who are now, it's as if we've gone back in time to 20, sort of 2010, and they're talking about austerity again. So really that, I mean, that seems to me to be the core sort of political lesson of, of what is happening to us at the moment. And it is a grim, grim side. I don't know about uh, Starmer's marital relations, but uh, is his missus, his hypothetical wife, measuring the curtains at number 10? <laughs> Maybe. Well, she, she's a very impressive individual in her own right. And I imagine like most sort of wives or husbands that get dragged to number 10, they're desperate not to have to live in that awful uh, building. Um, I mean, he is, you have to, you have to look very far now to find someone who doesn't think he's going to win the next general election. I mean, it, it is the, the political situation here has swung on a dime and changed within a matter of weeks. I mean, even if they replace her, the, the Tory poll rating would improve slightly, but it's not going to improve to the point where it's going to look realistic that they would win an election. He looks pretty much odds on to be the next Prime Minister of, of the United Kingdom. Thanks, Ian. Ian Dunn, columnist with the I newspaper. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.